Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Dr. Nicola Mercer, who, as you probably know by now, is the Medical Officer of Health for Wellington, Dufferin, and Guelph. I didn't intend that to rhyme, but there it is. It is time again for another quarterly check-in with Dr. Mercer about the local pandemic picture. How are we doing? Where are we going? And what can we expect next? We're now almost 18 months into the pandemic, and while normal still seems kind of far away, there is a perceptible feeling that the worst is over and there are better days ahead. But are there really better days ahead? It's the quintessential question of our time, and it is also the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. When we last had an in-depth chat with Dr. Mercer in May, those brighter days still seemed so very far away. We had yet to even enter phase one of the economic reopening. Case counts were coming down slowly. Concern about COVID variants was everywhere. And so were concerns that Canada was lagging behind in vaccine distribution. It's strange what a difference about 10 weeks can make because now stuff is reopened. We have more vaccine than arms. And while the Delta variant is a major pressure point, It's not insurmountable so long as we stay the course with vaccinations and we continue to take caution. At least that's the layman's picture of the current COVID situation. What about the next few months? Well, first, we seem to be hitting a wall with vaccines. While the number of fully vaccinated people continues to go up, there's still about 20% of the eligible population that has even yet to receive their first dose. Students will be going back to school in a little over a month, but it seems like there are still a lot of questions about the new normal and what it will look like. And what about standards? Some post-secondary campuses want all students to be fully vaccinated, and others are being more laid back about it. For the rest of us, while we revel in the reopening and have a rare restaurant meal indoors, we have to wonder how long it will last. As we head back into fall and winter, and as we start to go back indoors again, Will COVID start roaring back? Questions like these require the input of a public health authority, and fortunately, we've got ours. So this week on the Guelph Politicast, we're joined again by Dr. Mercer, who will talk to us about the current state of the vaccine rollout, how we get the first shots to that last 20%, and whether 75% is still a good enough target with that Delta variant floating around. We will also talk about getting ready for back to school, what the campaign to vaccinate kids under 12 might look like, and what precautions parents, teachers, and students should be taking to keep schools open for good this school year. And finally, we will talk about the potential impact of COVID this winter, the debate around a third booster shot, and how it might be harder to get back to normal than we might think. So I caught up with Dr. Nicola Mercer earlier this week via Zoom. So, Dr. Nicola Mercer, thank you so much for joining us once again to talk COVID and uh, and everything going on with public health. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always Adam. Well, I want to start with, um, you know, I've been watching the vaccine rollout. You've been watching it, too. Um, I, ha- I can't help but notice over the last several days, um, we are slowly 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 ticking up on 80 percent for first doses um while we're kind of like really getting far out ahead in terms of getting people fully vaccinated so um what's the message there i mean you know with the emphasis now seemingly on the second doses on the even uh, even though we're still about 20 percent away from getting 100 percent of eligible people fully dosed you know what what messages are you taking from those numbers 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that the first thing is, although we would love 100% of individuals to be vaccinated, we recognize that 100% will probably not be attainable. But what really is important is trying to make sure that we have as many people vaccinated as we possibly can. And that's because COVID, as we move forward, is going to become what we would call in the public health world a vaccine-preventable disease, meaning that people who are vaccinated don't get sick or don't get COVID. This is going to become a disease of people who are unvaccinated, and we are seeing that even now. When I look at all the cases that I have and, and, uh, and have had over the last uh, six to eight weeks, we can see that they are all of unvaccinated people very rarely. Do we find one who's had potentially one dose of vaccine and hasn't had an opportunity yet to get their second dose? Um, but diseases of people who are fully vaccinated, it's pretty rare, 0.02%. The vast, vast majority of these cases are people who are unvaccinated. And so I, I think that that sort of tells us that hopefully as people realize more and more that there's something really simple and easy and safe and effective that you can do to keep yourself well, to keep your family well, to help prevent you from having to take a couple weeks off work or even more importantly, especially if you are uh, an adult, uh, to keep you out of the hospital and keep you out of the ICU is to get your vaccine. So I, I think that I, I'm really hoping that for people who are sort of on the fence and watching and wondering if they should do this, that they'll see that, you know, tens of thousands, in our case, several hundred thousand people um, have had their, their vaccine locally and they're safe and they're well and that this is going to keep your kids in school, going to keep you at work, um, that we would all get vaccinated. Right. So I'm wondering if there's any kind of conversations, though. Um, you just said, you know, it's very unlikely we're going to get to 100 percent. Having said that, we are at a little around 80 percent, let's say. Is there I, I guess what kind of room are you looking to grow? And is there any kind of, you know, aside from the, the gentle reminders and the, you know, the, the social media posts and things like doesn't, you know, and also the fact that at any clinic now, and you can confirm this again, that any clinic, if you haven't gotten your first dose, you can just pop in and go to the front of the line. Um, is it just a matter of sort of keeping that sort of gentle pressure campaign up to just try and get that number as high as we can? Or is, um, you know, is, is there kind of like more, more of a calculus at work to try and increase that first dose number? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, currently, overall, we are 79.9% vaccinated. That was end of day yesterday. So <laughs> I'm uh, very optimistic that we'll hit that 80% today <laughs> um, and 60.9% uh, fully vaccinated in area. But, if you, but there is a difference. So if you actually look um, across our area, if you look at the city of Guelph, for example, we're 85.9% vaccinated. We are just over 5,000 people, like I think it's 5,100 people short of being 90% vaccinated. And if we can get there, you know what, that would make us the most vaccinated city in North America. So 5,100 people. And why is that important? It's, it would make our city really really safe from COVID. It would protect our kids who are going to school. It would protect those of us who are, you know, are going to work. It would protect our seniors. So, so that's important. But what do I see in terms of where we can still make gains? So I, I think that there are still people 
in our community, small pockets, we actually use our analytics. We know where people aren't vaccinated. We, we can go in by neighborhoods, by streets. We can actually see using our analytics where people have been vaccinated and where they haven't by street all across Wellington, Decker and Well. So we do know where the pockets are, people who are not vaccinated. And so by doing so, we can actually target and take the vaccine into these neighborhoods. We also know, for example, which age groups are less vaccinated and what's going to make a difference. So anybody under the age, say 34 years of age and under, and in particular, 18 to 29 is our lowest point of vaccination. And in fact, even a little bit lower than our 12 to 14 year olds or our 12 to 17 year olds. So we do need to say that if you know, if you know people that are in the, the 18 to 29 year old age group, that's the group that we need to really get the message out that you want life to be normal. Believe me, we know that you want life to be normal, but the way to get to normal is to get a shot. And I believe the long weekend in August, uh, we're, we're going to take it to, to downtown Guelph. We're looking at having some pop-up vaccine centers. So, you know, if you're going downtown to have a meal or to go to a, a bar, we'll be there. So you don't have to go far. You just have to maybe walk, a, uh, you know, 100 yards or less or be go around the corner. You Public health nurses are going to be there saying, come on, get vaccinated and go back to your, your dinner or your or your, your table. Like, you know, let's let's get this done. Let's let's keep you safe. So we can do this. Um, we just need. I think we just need people to stop listening to the stuff that's not true. We have so many what I call vaccine myths out there. The stories about, ooh, you know, you can be doubly vaccinated and, and uh, you still get COVID or that's a myth, <laughs> that doesn't happen. You can be doubly vaccinated. Ooh, those vaccines, they have such terrible side effects. You know, worse than getting COVID. Well, that's absolutely not true. Um, so that there are things that are keeping people from being vaccinated and they're the things that aren't true. Both my kids are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. My husband is. Our entire family is like, I wouldn't, do that to my own children if I thought that these vaccines weren't safe and that they weren't effective. Right. Is, is vaccine hesitancy playing a big role in that, in, in the, in like preventing the numbers going higher or, and, and I guess, you know, you talked about how public health has that targeting too. I imagine when you're looking at neighborhoods, I mean, there are certain parts of the city and the region where, you know, it's a lot of working class people. So a lot of people who, you know, work all day, can't, easily book a clinic can't you know be on standby so that when the pharmacy calls they can run to the pharmacy and and get it uh, so I, I guess in terms of some of those analytics um do you have a general sense of like how false information is is affecting the the vaccine rollout and maybe how much of it is just lack of access or or lack of time and other things that are holding people back well, I, I certainly think that that we should do everything we can to remove access as being the barrier to getting a vaccine. And, and I would suspect in our younger age group, the 12 to 17 year old age group, um, that access may be, may be challenging if you don't drive or have access uh, to a vehicle. And uh, although it's not a popular statement, we children uh, between the ages of 12 and 17, there is no age of consent. So yes, they can access vaccination and access our clinics. But uh, for them, access is about, you know, um, not having transportation potentially or, or parental support or approval. Um, but as we look across 
and WDG as we go into say, our rural farming areas? What does it look like? When is most convenient for them to get vaccinated? If we look at our young adults, 18 to 29, who are working, what does access look like to them? And there are communities potentially who don't, oh, there's language barriers mm. or, um, you know, so what, what does that look like for them? So we are looking very closely at all of the barriers and not just maybe what we think the barriers are, but let's let's try and ask people what do, what do we think are the barriers? Because right now, all across our area, I mean, you know, family docs have it. Uh, every pharmacy has it. So you can walk into any pharmacy right now and, and probably get a shot that day, if not at the same time, because they all have vaccine. Um, you can walk into any one of our clinics and, and get it. We're running small pop-up clinics. Um, so what really are the barriers? Is, is it what we think they are, or maybe it's something else? Hmm. I guess that plays into part of it is, and I remember, I, I think I've heard you talk about this. I've certainly heard members of your staff talk about it, but like the initial part of the vaccine rollout was the easy part. Just like saying to everyone, Hey, it's available. Here's where you get it. If you want a jab, you know, sign up, we'll let you know when this is the really like kind of nuts and bolts. Hard part of this is like getting the, the last few like we're we're kind of at the most difficult part of this aren't we yes well they always say that last uh, um you know 15 20 percent um is going to be tough and and we know i mean let's be realistic we're not going to get absolutely everyone um but i think that aiming for 85 percent is very doable and we should aim for at least 85 percent i mean the city of Guelph's already shown that they're at 85.9 percent I mean, this, for the city of Guelph, maybe 90% is doable. We hope so. We're really trying to get to 90%. Um, and I think it's doable. I really do. I think we just have, you know, as I said, we have 5,100 people that we, we need to, to sign up and we can then sort of lift our head up and say, hey, look at us. We're, we're probably the most vaccinated city in North America. Mm. Um, and, that's, and that's something that I, I think would be a great goal because it would keep us safe and it would keep our families safe our community safe. It would, it would keep us safe. And this is, this is a really a disease. That I know that there are a few people maybe who are listening who thinks it's a hoax. So this is not a real disease. This, this is a really awful sneaky disease. It is so, so easily transmitted person to person doing the things that we love, you know, doing those, you know, just stopping and having, conversation or just having a chat with somebody or a coffee with somebody I mean, uh, we're not used to thinking that those things are dangerous we know that mm. if you you know you participate in some other activities that you think oh yeah that's a dangerous activity but no, none of us would assume that stopping to talk to a neighbor or a friend or a family member um, could result in you ending up in hospital or dying from diseases like COVID, but that's the reality of this disease. And yet we have this fantastic, absolutely brilliant vaccines right now. Vaccines that if you'd have asked me two years ago what I thought we'd have had vaccines that work so well um, with so few side effects, I, I would have you know, said that's a dream. Um, mm. We don't have, you know, our, our flu shots uh, don't work as well as, as these vaccines do. Now, hopefully, maybe they'll start manufacturing mRNA flu shots each year. Uh, these are fantastic vaccines. Um, and the way of the future for all of, I think, for, for vaccination. Speaking of the future, I, I know that on the, the, the dashboard for the vaccine rollout, it, the, the target is kind of set at 75%, both for first doses and second doses. Um, however, I know that with the Delta variant, things spread kind of much more quickly. And I think we're seeing that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
that with each kind of new mutation of COVID, it seems to be a little bit stronger, gets a little more easy to spread around. So is 75% like a good target um, for that vaccination that would help sort of like box COVID in and prevent those like mutations that sort of create uh, further problems for people who maybe can't get vaccinated um, for whatever medical reason and um, is, you know, maybe 85%, as you said, maybe that's a, a better, I mean, not only are we capable of getting there, maybe that's just a better target generally. So I, th- I think there's two parts to that. So there's the first, um, the, the North America or the Canadian, or, you know, local Ontario piece, and then there's the international piece. So if we look at uh, this disease around the world, we have many countries in the world, many, many, especially low-resource countries, um, even some, you know, high-resource countries, which are still got very low rep. Uh, vaccination rates such as Japan. So as long as there are parts of the world that have very low vaccination rates, the potential for um, a variant of concern to emerge is there. So I I think we have to say to ourselves that, you know, variants are very likely something that we're not going to be able to control as a world unless, unless all parts, unless all parts of the world um, are, are vaccinated. So that's, um, that's a bit uh, sort of, sort of a pause to make us think that, oh, yeah, right. so you know, these things are going to keep at us. So what what does that mean, though, for us locally? Well, when they talk about, you know, sort of things spreading, usually things become dominant because they're more transmissible, not necessarily because they're more lethal. Right. Right? Things that are things that kill you quickly don't usually spread a lot right? because they don't have that opportunity to spread. And, you know, we, we saw that for... You know, MERS, for example, which is very lethal, and so you know, tend to see a lot of cases. Um, but when we look at um, this particular one, what we know right now is that yes, the Delta is more transmissible. Um, so we see more cases. Each person manages to give it to more people if if everybody around them is is uh, not vaccinated. But what we're we're not seeing necessarily yeah, is that uh, we think people are probably about a sick, maybe a bit more sick. Like it doesn't mean that, that people are more ill right. um, because something spreads more. It could mean that, but in general, it just means things that take over are the things that are able to jump faster person to person. Then they become the dominant one that everybody gets. Um, and right now I can tell you though, that the vaccines work really well uh, for people who are doubly vaccinated. So if we've had two doses. Uh, people are quite protected by all the the current variants. And now that we know that these vaccines really work well, um, it also provides the tool to protect us should we need um, a, bo- a booster for something that we right now we're not anticipating. So right. it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll need, all of us will need three doses or uh, at least right now, I think it is potentially possible that we would need a booster dose in the future. I mean, think about it. We all, a lot of us have flu doses every year, flu shots. So we have our, we don't think anything of it. I've got to get a flu shot once a year. So it might end up being something similar to that. You get your flu shot, you get your COVID shot and who knows, maybe we'll get our COVID flu shot in the future. It'll all combined <laughs> in one needle. I, I don't know. But, but I think in the, uh, in the end, what we'll, we'll be seeing is that, uh, this is with us for a long time. So therefore, um, in the foreseeable years, uh, COVID is part of our now new winter. It's going to be a disease mostly of the winter when we all go indoors um, and to stay protected. 
we need to have some good personal habits. Uh, cough into your elbow, stay home when you're sick, keep your hands clean, and wear a mask if you're if you're um, sick and you're going to be around other people or you might feel like you're not sure, you're maybe a little throat's a little scratchy, wear a mask. I think these are things that are, are going to change our society in ways that we never anticipated when the pandemic first started. Right. I think that's getting into what I've been wondering about, like this you know, we get to the point where we've vaccinated as many people as we can, like 85, 90%, you know, let's say, um, does COVID then become kind of like a seasonal thing? Like, you know, it, it, I don't know if it would replace the common cold if we're all vaccinated and maybe experiencing minor symptoms if we feel symptoms at all. But I mean, does it, you, you feel confident in saying like COVID we will be living with in some way, shape or form for years to come in the same way we live with the common cold or the flu. Yeah, I'm afraid that that's um, unfortunately what it's looking like. When you get a, di- a disease like this, which is just a respiratory virus, which is just so you know widespread around the world right now, it, it's not something necessarily that we can eradicate and, and certainly not in, in the near term. So how do we live with this? How do we start to you know, to cope. And thankfully, we have a vaccine to keep us well from this because, um, you know, 20 years ago, we probably couldn't have done this. Like, what, what would that have done to us if we did as a worldwide population without the hope of a vaccine? Uh, vaccines keep us safe. And so as I sort of hit, hinted at the beginning, although it's certainly not popular uh, by some groups to hear this, but this is a disease of and it's going to be a disease of unvaccinated or partially vaccinated people, right? people who, who have not protected themselves. And so most people can get this vaccine. There are very, very few people who have allergies to the component, allergies to the you know, components of the vaccine, which would make them unable to get it, or you might have to switch to another one. So for, for people who can receive this vaccine, I, I just would plead with them to say, you know, keep yourself safe. Keep your family safe. Long COVID is real. If you don't think it's real, try and go on the blogs and listen to the people who've had COVID and the symptoms that they're experiencing um, months to a year later. Um, when uh, many of these people didn't have an opportunity to get vaccinated because they got COVID before we had vaccines. Um, so, you know, please, you know, think about all of the experts, the scientists, who are saying to you, your family doctor is saying these vaccines are safe, they're effective, they will protect you, protect your family, um, and and really, you know, will make it easy for you. Please just consider getting vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, hey, do I don't wanna... know if you had both of your shots. Uh, I have had both of my shots. I had an Astra shot for the first one, and then I had uh, an mRNA shot for the second one. Excellent. Good to know. So yeah, no, I'm <laughs> actually, I just got my second shot last week and um, I got it at uh, an area pharmacy and it was quick and it was uh, swift and my side effects were actually minimal. I was a little sore and a little groggy the next day, but otherwise um, by, by the day after that, I was as close to normal as I usually am. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> but I, let me tackle some of the some of the some more of these myths just to, to get them out of the way because we have seen very rare cases where people have been double vaccinated but have tested COVID positive. And it's worth noting, like 
there's been a couple of situations with the New York Yankees baseball club where they've had players test positive, but they have not reported that they've had symptoms. Um, so even when people are fully vaccinated and they somehow get the virus still and the virus still able to take hold of them, it is not really presenting itself as sort of like the, you don't get the full course of the disease. Uh, so that that's, that's something we do have to be a little bit aware of, right? Well, uh, you, what you, you've said something that's absolutely true. So, so what we know now is that 0.02% of people who are doubly vaccinated could test positive. It's a very small number. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not zero. It's never zero. No vaccine is 100%. Okay, we have to acknowledge that. For, you know, there's sort of there's individual differences between all of us. Uh, as well as sometimes a user error, right? And there's a way that the vaccine is given. Um, so there's, you know, so no vaccine is going to be 100% perfect. But boy, these vaccines are really close to perfect. Right. But interestingly enough, when we have found people that are have been vaccinated and test positive, what we've almost always seen, the vast majority of these people are asymptomatic. And how do we find them if they're asymptomatic, you, you might ask? Well, they are long-term care home workers or or in this case, uh, uh, sports teams that are being uh, subjected to regular routine testing just mm. to, to keep people safe. So that's how we're finding this. And additionally, what we know is from further studies of people who've been vaccinated and who have tested positive is that when they've been able to look at the families that they live in, so people around them, and this was a lot of the studies were done before um, everybody was vaccinated. But what we can tell is that people who are vaccinated and get COVID and that unlikely 0.02% event um, don't seem to be able to give it to other people as well. Mm. So not only do these vaccines uh, prevent you from getting COVID, if you do get COVID, your illness for the most part seems to be very mild, um, Mm. sometimes asymptomatic, and it keeps you um, not, again, not perfect, but it seems like it keeps you from shedding it and giving it to other people and so that's probably occurs because you either don't have the virus in your system for quite as long because you're vaccinated or because you don't have as high what we call viral load so your load is so low that you're not able to shed it to other people so all of that should say to people that even when here that goes oh yeah so and so was was uh, vaccinated and got the vaccine vaccines don't work no, this vaccine is working really well. It's, it's preventing people from getting uh, seriously ill um, and giving it to other people. So those are those are really good benefits from this vaccine. Correct me if I'm wrong on the math, but 0.02%, that would be two out of 10,000? Yeah, it's very yeah, so, Okay, so two out of 10,000 people who are fully vaccinated can still catch the, the virus and then not spread it to other people. And we maybe wouldn't know about them, except that most of these people are found. Right. Uh, because they often are asymptomatic. They're found on routine screening. Right. So, uh, yeah. So really what we what we can say is we have really good vaccines um, with minimal side effects uh, that prevent us from, from getting sick. And now the question, of course, will be how long do they last? And don't have an answer to that one yet. <laughs> it appears like maybe, though, that they last a bit longer than we'd hoped. Um, because we weren't sure, right? Do they last six months? Do they last a year? Well, we, we're pretty sure they're lasting a year from what we can see from the 
the literature. And, and maybe they might last longer, but that obviously we haven't had vaccines for long enough to know for sure how long they're going to last. So all of our estimates right now are based on mathematical modeling. Right. Um, but I, th- I think it's not unreasonable to, to expect that we might all need uh, boosters occasionally. Um, what that might look like, um, I, we can't say quite yet, but... Um, or it might but, be specially... It might be specially targeted, like in Israel, where they were giving boosters to people who have immune deficiency issues. So just yeah, to- and that's not unusual though with most vaccines. In fact, yeah. what we know is that people who have um, immune, like whether let's say you've had an organ transplant and your your immune system is suppressed, well, even in regular times, like when we vaccinate people who are immune suppressed, but first of all, we try and do it before they're immune suppressed. And if we have to do it after they're immune suppressed, um, often it takes multiple doses and sometimes it actually is never quite good enough. And that's why it's so important, uh, especially in flu season or for diseases that um, can be prevented by uh, people being vaccinated, that people who are healthy and well getting vaccinated surround the people who cannot get a full immune response and protect right. them so so that protection of people in your lives who are less likely to be able to amount to an immune response so anybody who's got a family member undergoing chemotherapies had an organ transplant maybe is a bad diabetic there um, there are people in our lives that um, will not develop as strong an immune response and we can help protect them by getting the vaccine ourselves Right. There is one more thing I want you to address in terms of like potential places where disinformation comes up. But I know that in Los Angeles, they have advised people to start wearing masks again, um, even though there's been pretty good uptick on fully vaccinated people in the L.A. area. Can can you talk a bit about what circumstance, you know, there would be kind of mandatory masking, even if, you know, we have 60, 70, 80 percent of people fully vaccinated? Like what's the. What's the public health efficacy there? Well, one of the things that we, we now know, which, which we didn't know at the start of the pandemic, is that masks are uh, well-made, uh, homemade masks, but also but medical masks in particular, um, really protect you and others from, uh, from a respiratory uh, virus transmission. So, so masks work. So what we see right now in all across North America is we, we really don't have high rates of vaccination in general because our children aren't vaccinated. So we don't have right. anyone under the age of 12 vaccinated in North America. So even in communities, and I believe Los Angeles has got vaccination rates in the low 80s, but they're high. Like they're around 83 or 4%, I believe. Um, not as high as the city of Guelph at 85.9. <laughs> but that's 12 and up, right? So if we start to add in the entire population, what we'll see is that the numbers just aren't high enough to prevent the spread of this virus. And with the Delta variant, we've been some mathematical modeling done that would imply that we need to have probably almost 90% of our population vaccinated to prevent sporadic outbreaks and cases from popping up because it's just so easily transmissible. It will find the person who is not um, vaccinated. So that means mm. we still have a long way to go because we still have a large portion of our population who aren't vaccinated because they're not able to be or not eligible to be vaccinated right now. So yeah, it, we're not there yet, but in terms of, uh, uh, we know that the older population, when I say older, I mean you know, anybody uh, who would be an adult so over the age of uh, 
19 and up, right. they're more likely to have the, uh, the bad outcomes, potentially, of, of COVID. So we saw that very clearly in who was being hospitalized, that uh, age is a definite risk factor uh, for hospitalization, ICU admission, and death. Um, and so as we see that, what, what we know is that, that based on this, that even though the children are, you know, are going to be a source for a while to come, uh, most likely like, they will not have severe disease. Many of them will be asymptomatic, which is a blessing that we're able to say that. Uh, so you know, to keep our, our younger uh, children safe right now while we're waiting for a vaccine for them. But, but if you're an adult with, you know, with, and you're not vaccinated, then it's, it's not will you get COVID, it's when will you get COVID. Right. So please, please consider, you know, your family would all be not want to lose you. So please consider mm-hmm. getting a vaccine. I do want to talk about the kids really quickly. Um, you know, school goes back in a little over a month. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, the, the population that is not eligible to get vaccinated yet, the kids 12 and under, kind of go to school together. <laughs> you know, it's not like they go to school with like a mix of high school kids who some of whom are probably vaccinated. But what are the kind of the, the risk signs or the, the warning signs here for, I mean, considering that a lot of kids are, you know, are asymptomatic, um, a lot of the adults in their life from their teachers to their parents are going to be vaccinated, most likely. Just, you know, what are kind of the some of the, the warning things you're, you're looking out for as we, we start looking at the school year? Well, I, I think we, we need to start with the, the first premise, which is children need to be in school and they need to be in person in school. I, I think one thing that we have learned is that, you know, for some kids, sure, virtual, it probably works and it probably works for all kids a little bit at some time. But for the vast majority of kids, for the vast majority of the time, they need in-person learning. And this is for a whole variety of factors, whether it's their own uh, personal growth and development, those interpersonal skills, those relational skills, uh, those supports that they get at school. Sometimes it's the the meals that they get at school. Sometimes Mm. it's the safety of the school. And children need to be at school for the well-being of the adults in their lives, in particular the mothers, um, but the people who need to work. Um, and having your children at home has really impacted the economic and the financial well-being of families, in particular uh, working women. And so, so I think we need to just start there to say it is good for the children, it is good for their families, and it is good for us as a society to have our children in school. So how do we keep our children in school? Uh, well, first of all, we all can get vaccinated, which would then make it less COVID in our communities. What we're looking at in terms of markers is how do we sort of monitor what's happening in our community? And one of the really uh, big markers of what's happening is how many people are, are ending up in the hospital or ending up mm. in our ICUs. And because those are preventable. Those are adults who could be vaccinated who won't end up in an ICU bed, for example. And so uh, we can't right now because we're still waiting for an approved vaccine for children. So we can't vaccinate those under 12, um, but we can vaccinate people over 12. How will that keep our school safe? Well, certainly if we start to see our hospitals um, filling up with patients, our ICUs filling up, that's an indicator of 
sort of the well-being of the community, the spread of disease within our community. We know that certain younger populations, you know, don't end up in the hospital or don't end up as seriously ill. Um, but it's still it's still a marker of what's going on, um, and I, I think we need to look at that as a marker. In keeping our kids at school too, we have to ensure that the adults in the schools are vaccinated, right, to keep the children safe. So those are the teachers and the support staff surround the kids with vaccinated people to keep the children safe. And that, those are really the foundational starting points. And then we've talked a little bit about this in another parts of the podcast, but there are going to be some measures that are going to stay with us for a very long time. And maybe some of these measures will be with us like forever. But when I mean that, I mean things like don't go to work sick. and Don't send your children to school when they're sick. Right. I know we, we know screening in terms of is really important, but I, I can tell you that even last winter, I saw it time and time again where children were sent to school ill. And then we have whole classes that are exposed to COVID. So that, that's really problematic. Um, so that's important. So, so stay home if you're sick. And so screening to make sure people you know, do that is really important. Uh, keep your hand, you know, hand sanitizer is a really safe, effective way. Um, it's not the main way that this virus uh, transmits, but if it's on your hands and you put your hands in your mouth, that's, yeah. not, that's, uh, that's a, a good way to, to get yourself uh, infected. So, you know, so it's not the main way, but it's an important way. Um, right. And I think we need to look at things like uh, uh, where uh, possible, like where the wearing of masks. We, we know that at least while the virus is circulating in our community, um, that wearing a mask protects you, protects your child, and uh, pr- um, protects others from your child if your child is ill. So that it's it's a pretty low risk uh, thing to wear a mask. I know people don't like it. I don't like wearing a mask. I, I can't wait till I can take <laughs> my mask off. I mean, who likes wearing a mask? Um, yeah. But but for now, it's it's a measure that's probably going to be with us for a bit. I know we like to think about university kids going back to school. Um, one of the ways to fill the classrooms is to actually be able to have kids sit beside each other in a university post-secondary education environment is they have to wear masks, right? And, we, and they also have to be vaccinated and they have to take the step of don't be there if you're symptomatic, you know, go get tested. So so there's certain things we're, we're going to live with, but for, for parents who are listening or if you have, or if you're a, somebody over the age of 12 and you want to stay in school, then please get your shots because when people get exposed to this virus, if you're doubly vaccinated, you've had two doses of vaccine. Um, yes, if you're a high risk exposure, you may have to go get a COVID test. We'll, we'll see about that. But you're back in school. You don't right. have to quarantine for two weeks if you're as long as you're asymptomatic. Most people are. So, but if you're not doubly vaccinated and there's a, a case in your classroom, then you would be required to. The case and contact management says that you would have to be um, off school for two weeks because you're a high risk exposure. So, you know, if you want to keep your kids in school, if you want to stay in school yourself, you know, get have both your shots before school starts. That's that will really help a lot to keep uh, keep your school safe and keep you in school. It sounds like basic risk management. <laughs> it's, <Right>. it's <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 a bit harder to manage it all when nobody's vaccinated but essentially vaccine the 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 more people are vaccinated and fully vaccinated the more manageable the risk becomes oh yes absolutely so if you have a classroom of 20 students and 
you know, and half are vaccinated and half off. You know, you've got 10 people who could bring the virus in each and every day. If you have all 20 students vaccinated, if they're assuming it's a class grade seven or eight or above, um, you know, the chances of that virus coming into that classroom and disrupting um, that education is minimized because remember only 0.02% of the time would you have someone develop COVID. So the chances are that that classroom, if it was fully vaccinated, would be able to go through an entire school year as, right. a, as a functioning classroom. And I think that, boy, I bet your parents want that. And I, I, I know <laughs> that we all want to get our normal back. Well, vaccines are the way to get our new normal. One more question about this. I, I know that, as you said, there's no there's been no vaccine approval for kids under 12 yet. Although from what I have gathered, that could be coming as early as September. Um, are you already planning that far ahead that when that clearance comes, whether it's for, you know, one of the pre-approved vaccines or, or not, you know, is, is there a plan in place to start getting those kids under 12 um, lined up and vaccinated? Yeah, no. So the great question. Um, certainly we are anxiously following the studies and the results and, and waiting for um, Health Canada's authorization for those. Um, it might occur in the States first. We have, sometimes we've seen that or other parts of the world, but we're all waiting for um, the results of these studies so that we can uh, start immunizing our children younger than age at 12. Um, but with that in mind, I think you're right. I think even uh, I, I'm not, thinking that we were going to see vaccines i doubt it highly doubt it before thanksgiving but mm. um, hopefully before christmas sometimes we'll we'll see that we have a vaccine authorized for uh, children younger than the age of 12 and, and i can't say what that age range might be but i'm anticipating right now that it'll probably be say five to 11 year olds will be the next range that are approved um, and that that has the potential to make a huge difference in our our school system for, for keeping uh, kids safe um, also know though that um, parents, because um, you know, I, I can I can certainly understand this. Parents are a bit anxious, saying, you know, I'm assuming for my kids, you know, what what uh, you know, are, are these vaccines safe for children? And uh, I know that the people who are looking at this would not authorize these vaccines for for the use in children uh, without very careful thought. We have now and will have by September millions of doses around the world of uh, children between ages of 12 and 17 who've been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So we will have safety data in older children. And that should be really encouraging for parents to look at. And although younger children um, don't often have the same uh, symptoms as older children, there is still some nasty side effects of, of COVID in children. They're, they're rare, but but not certainly not unheard of in children when they get COVID. And there's still long COVID in, in children. Again, we were just learning about this as we, you know, this is, disease where uh, the medical community we are learning as we go because there's just uh, uh, so much that's come out we, we, we're learning fast I mean, compared to what any you know, past decades but if you really think about it this this was a disease if you'd have asked me two years ago i would have looked baffled when you said well tell me what you know about covid and i said huh? what's that <laughs> <laughs> the science works is yeah. the, the lesson so uh, Dr. Mercer, informative as always. I thank you so much for all your time. And um, 
I, I would say I, I hope we don't have to talk again soon, but I have a feeling we will have to do at least one more of these <laughs> before we can say things are normal enough that I don't have to talk to you every quarter about COVID anymore. But, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. But uh, thanks for, for popping on with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And once again, that was Dr. Nicola Mercer. You can stay up to date on the latest COVID case numbers and the vaccine rollout at the Public Health website, which you can find at wdgpublichealth.ca. And remember, if you have yet to receive your first dose of a vaccine, you can now go to any public health clinic and get taken in right away in order to get one. And if you need your second shot, you can book directly at the public health website without having to pre-register. In order to do that, you just go to wdgpublichealth.ca slash register. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU at the University Center on the University of Guelph campus. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast on Wednesday from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or you can download it from the host at podbean at guelphpoliticast.podbean.com. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can get in touch with me by email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. Reach me through Twitter at adamadonaldson or at guelphpolitico. There is also Guelph Politico's Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash politicoguelph. And if you'd like to help build a locally sourced independent media outlet in the city of Guelph, please consider donating to Guelph Politico. And you can find it how at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. 